Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're in sober June and July, right? I am in sober June and July. You've been stalking my Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) How are you finding it? Um, I'm only two days in, so yeah, it's going all right. Just been, um, I've been trying to like eat a bit healthier and like exercise and stuff like that. Because when I'm not doing that, it's yeah, I don't know, I live a bit of a different life than that. So yeah, just gonna give it a go, you know, try to give it a health kick for a month and stop being a bit of a slob. Are you still smoking or are you like stopping everything? Yeah, no, sober no, month. yeah, sober month. I haven't smoked weed in a long time. I um, and I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. Um, so yeah, I'm just uh, just doing yeah, keep my head clean and yeah, just doing nothing for a little bit. Is it? Do you find it impacts like your creativity in any way? Just having like a month where it's just like wiping the slate clean. I find it more productive. Like today, I was first. This is my second day, like off or whatever. And, um, yeah, I, like, kind of wrote a song today, shit song today. <laughs> so, like, I find it, like, because there's nothing else to do than what I, like, there's not much to do when you're not, um, I don't know, <laughs> when you're in lockdown and you're not drinking or, like, going to a bar or anything. So, yeah, um, I find I'm just more productive, but I don't know if I'm more creative, yeah. Just kind of start an idea, try and start an idea. I'm going to try and start an idea every day and see how far I get, I guess. Is that an easy thing to do? Do you find it easy just to kind of kick off and start an idea or does it take a bit of time to get to that point where one clicks? Um, no, I, I'd have no problem starting an idea, but um, I just have problems starting a good idea. Like I'll, I'll just <laughs> I start with a drum loop and I get this like amplifier next to me that... Um, because I'm shit at guitar as well. <laughs> I just like kind of like play a couple of chords and make a cool sound on like different effect on this amp that I got and kind of just try and make something, whether it's good or bad, just, I don't know, I guess, yeah, when I'm like sitting at home, try and make like a shitty idea every day when I'm doing it. Yeah. 
How long does it take you to figure out whether it's a good or bad idea? I got to go away from it and then come back and listen to it, especially if there's vocals on it. Like, uh, if I if I <laughs> if I like try and sing on a song and then like write write a lot of the music, I'll, I'll have to go away from it for like even five ten minutes or come back the next day. It's like almost a bit of a hobby, and then you come back with fresh ears and listen to it. It's either a steaming pile of shit or it's like got something to it that you can keep on working on. I reckon. For, I, I reckon, yeah. Does it? I mean, it's interesting you said that you could go away for five ten minutes. Does that just that short gap? Does that change things quite radically? Or? Yeah. Do you remember like if you're ever a kid and you change your room or whatever, like, and then you walk out of the room and go to the kitchen and then you come back to the room to see what it's like and it gives you like a, it's just being able to step away from it. It gives you like a different perspective or whatever. Or like you forget about where it goes and you go, oh, that looks shit. But if you stay in the room, you don't really know. I don't know. That's that's what I can kind of only compare it to. It's like that. Like have to go back away and then come back to realize it's a steaming pile of shit. <laughs> Where at the time, I think it's kind of all right. <laughs> <laughs> what about when you're making a record though? How do you go away and get, is that a similar thing? Do you just have to go away to get the perspective of the other, what do you do if you're in the studio and you need to get perspective on something quickly? Um, oh, geez, I don't know. Well, because we, we try and get the demos sounding really good over time and then we will try and kind of, I guess, go into a studio and make it better than the demo. I guess that comes a lot of the time in between when you finish recording and when you start mixing it. Because, like, we usually have a bit of time off after we finish tracking it. Like, get it pretty good on the desk bounces. Like, get it sounding good in the studio before it goes in through all this, like, mixing gear or whatever. And, um, and yeah, just have a bit of time off and then come back and then we'll usually someone will go away and mix it and then we'll get to hear it from there and then kind of sit with it for a bit and then, yeah, put put in some notes, but... Yeah, I'm not sure about quickly in the, in the studio because I guess everything goes pretty quick in there unless you've got a shitload of money <laughs> <laughs> or time or whatever or you own like a studio. When you take a little bit of time off before you feed it through the mixing desk, would you do the studio like in two different sessions or is it just you take a day off and then you go back in? We usually just record like all together and then we'll go away. Like we'll go home and like finish or whatever and then it'll... Like this, this new album that we've kind of um, started working on, we'd finished and then the person who recorded it like weeks later would then come back in with fresh ears and then kind of mix it and then send it to us and go, what do you think about this? But we've kind of got like a pretty good reference from the desk bounces of where we kind of like mixed as we went in the studio and we were like, oh, that sounds pretty good. And then it was kind of just like trying to take it to another, another level from there. Is this upcoming album, was it a similar process of kind of just writing as many songs as you can and then picking out the best ones to record and work on in the studio? Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, we, we kind of, um, we were going into a lockdown, so we, got, we went into a house for a few months and wrote the album. And we wrote shitloads of songs. And then, um, and then we kind of, yeah, just went into the studio, kind of gave ourselves a bit of like, we didn't want to sit around on the songs for too long and like I'm and iron on them. So we, we kind of booked in the studio times to not overthink things. And then, um, it kind of worked really well. Were you up at the Grove again? Yeah, we were. But with this time we did it with, um, a different producer, like the guy who, um, owns the Grove and, and runs it. So he, he mixed it as well. Um, Scott. With, yeah, Scott, Scott Allscott. Yeah. 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 
Fuck, you know heaps for someone who lives on the other side of the <laughs> fucking planet. <laughs> That's the age of the internet, man. It just yeah. travels. Jeez, you sound like you're really um, interested in all this. <laughs> you must be <laughs> in- interested in it all, I guess. Uh, it's awesome. It's funny when you start interviewing all the different bands and you kind of see all the connections. Yeah. Does it feel like that from your point of view? Is it quite like a tight-knit scene? Yeah, well, it's just really... Um, like I was, like you were mentioning the chats, I just finished, um, I was at a music festival the other day and I came back, my mate's like, oh, let's go to this house party and like the chats would be there or like, uh, like the Simon lives across the road from the school from me and like, or like Mikey from Violence, I'll come over and drink beers and <laughs> watch the football and shit like that, you know, <laughs> like, so yeah, it's just smaller here, like, um, Oh, the music scene is quite small. Like, the country is kind of massive. But, yeah, the music scene, I feel like everyone knows everyone pretty much or knows someone who knows someone else. Is that the same, like, cross cities or is it just for... No, it's it's kind of cross cities as well um, once you start traveling all the time. Because, we, we, like, before COVID, we'd play festivals and you'd always be on, like, it, on touring festivals as well and you'd tour with, like all the bands from Australia and we the radio station here, which I'm guessing you heard of, Triple J, like you kind of start just yeah. becoming familiar with like all the other bands and then I guess like end up running into them all the time and and yeah, like eventually become friends with a few of them and stuff. So. It was like, uh, was it Splendor you got everyone out on stage? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, no, we got, we got booked to do a June Rats and Friends gig. So kind of, yeah, it was like all those friends from the different bands that we'd met over the years. We just kind of did some songs with them, like Hockey Dad and Gooch Palms and TK Mladzer and Mall Rat and, yeah, uh, heaps, of, heaps of people. Wait, so it was actually booked as like a June Rats and Friends show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think we'd played like a couple of years in a row or maybe one year or some, something in like... <laughs> You're not meant to. I think it's Splendor in the Grass. It's not like they try not to book you this twice in a row, but I think they wanted to, so they rebooked it as like June Rats and Friends. <laughs> you cheated it. Yeah, we cheated it. <laughs> <laughs> How do you prepare for a show like that with so many like more moving parts? Oh man, it's terrifying. Like if fucking, I wouldn't do it again. Um, I, I'm glad I think we put on a great show but it's just a lot of work and really um, scary and shit and you know you only get to run it through with the other bands like the day before or something like that and we had all this production and stuff and it's just fucking terrifying um, yeah I, I probably wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't do it to a show to that extent again if that I wanted to have any motorcycles was if it if we wanted to have any fun no no that was that was the year before but that was awesome because I, because <laughs> we didn't have to worry about the songs. The songs were all fine. We just had to learn how to like ride a motorbike. <laughs> yeah. You kept it up since? No, no. I, I wrote on stage, or we wrote on stage, and my, like the guys getting angry at us. The stage manager like, "Don't fucking do anything wrong." Like, yeah, you, you do anything but ride on stage. Your show's cancelled. And I'm like, "Oh, I know. I was like, <laughs> I didn't even know how to ride a motorbike." <laughs> like, so we couldn't have any practice or anything like that. Yeah, so then I, I rode on stage on the little motorbike and put it down and it started, like, petrol started going everywhere. Um, but I Wait, didn't petrol? Re- yeah, petrol started coming out of the motorbike because I just leaned it over. And then, um, and then yeah, I'm just smelling petrol. I'm like, oh, fuck, this is getting a bit hairy, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is fun. 
light up on stage yeah, yeah. <laughs> like wow that's good pyro like no no, no we need <laughs> it's like uh what was it like woodstock 96 what happened there is that the one you know where they've got the they got the fires like in the crowd and stuff like it all just went to shit because they didn't have like enough water and stuff so they just started setting shit on fire oh was that like the limp biscuit one yeah 99 yeah. Uh, oh 99 i think or i don't know fuck it but yeah that was yeah, crazy yeah, i think that's, yeah. yeah and that, like all this shit is just flying everywhere that looks hectic wasn't that, they say that's the day like what they say that was like the day like new metal died or something i don't know <laughs> or like no, the day the 90s died or, or something but if it was in 99 so probably you know. near enough anyway it was almost yeah no yeah, yeah you didn't have much time anyway <laughs> did you not have a run in with Limp Bizkit or something I did yeah yeah I did I was um, on a date and then uh, <laughs> I didn't li- and the date was going horrible and then um, I I, uh, I was in LA <laughs> in LA and um, <laughs> and uh, Fred Durst rocks up at the valet so I get up from this date that's going terribly and I because uh, I was fucking hammered and this person I was at the date with was like drinking tea bags like like green tea that she'd brought and like asking for boiling water and shit I don't know why? Uh, it's just, she must have been on a dry July as well. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went over to um, Fred Jones, like, hey, man, like, I'm guessing I was like, oh, that's the first, like, CD I bought because as of, uh, Limp Bizkit was my first CD I got my dad to buy. Right, because I was, like, young as fuck when the hot chocolate starfish hot dog flavored water was running around my high school. And, um, yeah, I just went and spoke to him. And anyway, on this date, all my friends are sitting at this other table so I finished the date and then like, um, and then no, no, the, me and this person went over to this other table and then Fred Durst comes back to the valet and he sees me after like got a picture with him and like said thanks and all this stuff like for being the first CD I bought and he comes over and he slaps me, like gives me like a hand. So he's like, have a good one, bro. And everyone's like, dude, was that Fred Durst? I'm like, yeah, dude, what of it? Cause that was sitting at the other table. They didn't know that I had this chat with him. So like, how the fuck do you know Fred Durst? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Man. What were you doing in LA? I can't remember. I think we were touring. Yeah, we would have been touring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, would have had some shows. Yeah, we are doing a tour, maybe with Fiddler, or maybe it's one before that, because they all blown away because we're all in these um, RV, like, motorhomes, and... um. I think this one, because all our mates were there, we were on just our own headline tour around an album. Yeah, just cruising around us in one RV and all our friends in another RV. That's <laughs> it was ridiculous. Did you ever, did you record in LA as well? Yeah, we did some um, writing stuff there. Like um, when we signed with BMG in Australia, they um, offered us to go over there and try working with some producers like uh, John Feldman who'd done some stuff with... Um, Blink-182 and um, he sings in Goldfinger um, and he'd done stuff like the like the Psycho Used albums and that kind of stuff so yeah I went over there and like worked with him and a couple other guys and um, yeah it was it was a cool experience probably not not something we'd probably be in a rush to do again but um, it was still cool yeah what did you learn from it? probably what just what kind of band we wanted to be really like 
and that's just ourselves. Like I think when you're riding with some people, we just kind of like making things the way that we want it to sound, like make more music that we would like to listen to. And and sometimes if it takes like a pretty like specific type of person for us to like want to write with or whatever for it to feel like we're being like authentic or whatever. So <laughs> like being ourselves, yeah, just learnt kind of what we did and didn't want to do. I mean, when was that? Like, what record did you do off the back of what? That was our last one, um, Hurry Up and Wait. We we didn't do the whole record there, but we, I think, like, one of the songs that we started over there, we were, came back here and it made it on there, which was um, crazy. And then there was another one, Mountains Rock, Mountains Come and Go, but Aussie Pub Rock Lives On Forever. But that was kind of one that we did in, like, our <laughs> lunch break, so to speak. You know, Such a yeah. good title for a song. Yeah, it's a long one. <laughs> <laughs> it's the closer though, right? Yeah. Yeah, we play it live and it's um it's a sick one to close close on live. Like especially we have been playing these shows with that have like fire and fire. Yeah, like full metal shows or whatever. And then like the the guys like go back to back while the fire's going off and like then like doing these claps with this drum <laughs> breakdown. It's like <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. But it's so funny to watch and look at while we're playing. It's really good. You said oh, you were sitting there as well that before you did those writing sessions you signed with BMG. Yeah. Is that so how does that is that separate to like rap back or what's the It kinda goes hand kind of dynamic. It's kinda hand in hand, hand, in hand yeah. Like, so they distribute our um, bands that we signed to Rap Bag Records and then we are signed to um, BMG. We kind of had that same setup with uh, Warner and then a couple of the staff members kind of left there that um, championed our band. So, yeah, we kind of changed the label after they left and, yeah, kept Rap Bag going a bit. But, yeah, really, like, pretty hands-on with Warner. I mean, off BMG. <laughs> That's what's funny because we always think of labels as like these big kind of corporations, but really it's like the people on an individual level yeah. are the ones that are kind of fueling it. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, it's definitely not what I, like I thought it was when I was a kid, you know, like thousands of people like in this big machine, like kind of just, but um, I mean, what is the, so with Rat Bag, is that bands that you like and you bring them onto the label and kind of then bmg distribute them yeah well we kind of started rap bag records when um warner uh when we got signed we were like getting asked if we wanted to sign a warner and we were kind of umming and ahhing whether we wanted to be on a label and then they were kind of like oh maybe we can um we could fund a record label for you guys and we're like what that's sick so like we're like <laughs> like so wait you give us money that we can give to like other bands and like they can go and record and they're like yeah <laughs> and like the deal wasn't half bad so we're like quick skegs <laughs> gooch farms like 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 <laughs> pandemic come along and like we'd give them um like we'd help fund their recording and now it's like this cool kind of thing which um kind of can fund itself with like you know if some of the bands go well then we can have more money to put into further like new up and coming bands repeat gooch pumps for that stolen tambourine yeah yeah um 
<laughs> yeah, we didn't actually steal the tambourine. Um, they, uh, this guy that came up on <laughs> on stage with us um, to play keyboard for one stole a camp tambourine, and we haven't even spoken that in like eight eight years or something. Oh no, ten years. Um, <laughs> but they hated us for all these years, thinking we were the ones that yeah, stole Goose Rhymes' tambourine at this show in King's Cross in Sydney. Why did he steal her tambourine? Because he was coming up to play keyboard for one song, which he ended up staying for like overstaying <laughs> his welcome or whatever. Um, and he he needed something to do, so he went to the bottom of a bag and grabbed her tambourine and threw it at a wall. And they're like, "That's our fucking tambourine!" Oh, yeah, it's poor, it's poor, poor styles. Hey, have you watched that? Um, have you watched that pop pop thing on Netflix? It's just come out. No, why is it? It's this like um, this is pop, and it's got like Brit pop stuff. It's got like it, all these different types of pop, but it's going through Brit pop that I'm watching at the moment. You just reminded me of it because like going through the ages. Yeah, all the different types of pop and dissecting the whole thing. Like, um, I just thought you'd like it. It's it's psycho because I'm, in, it goes I'm through, interested. Well, yeah, it's kind of like what you, we were talking about with um, here with, like, all the bands being so incestuous and how everything is, like, you know, <laughs> for lack of better words. That's it's a good like, word for it. Yeah, it's like that with this Britpop thing and, like, just kind of dissects everything and how it all came about. I reckon you'd like They were it. all kind of feuding with each other, though, weren't they, a lot of them? Yeah, kind well... Kind of each other's throats a little bit. Yeah, well, yeah, but it's ju- it was just getting him to... Um, uh, Oasis and Blur before I, before this um, podcast started, but it had Alan McGee from um, was it was it Fiction, Fiction Record? Creation Creation yeah 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 um, <laughs> yeah and I just thought oh that's fun. he's Scottish isn't he yeah he's from Glasgow Glasgow different yeah, accent yeah. though is it different from your accent yeah, yeah yeah it's a lot like harsher i think yeah I'm up, I, in, I'm up in the north so i'm a bit kind of it's a wee bit softer yeah because i, I, just, I, I couldn't know. understand what the fuck you're saying on this doco <laughs> and i was wondering what this podcast is going to be like because i was half like the reason why i was psyched um like really psyched to do this podcast apart from yeah like being stoked um was just to hear a really solid scottish accent <laughs> But yeah, I was getting worried that I wouldn't be able to understand what you're saying after Alan McGee. But I mean, does it sound quite different, or do they kind of just sound much and such the same? Kind of. I think you summed it up pretty well. Like it's kind of the same, but theirs is like Alan McGee sounds a lot like heavier. Like you know. What about Aussie accents? Do they kind of tend to vary quite radically depending on where you are? Oh, there, I feel like there's a couple, like there's the country accent, like, oh, you might have gone down and pub and shit. Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, and then I, I swear there's a rugby league accent as well, like, you might, when you grab the ball, like, <laughs> I don't know, like the commentators have a bit of a twang about them, like, with the ball in play, <laughs> like not the ball in play. It's like when well, you got the ball in play. Like <laughs> I don't fucking know. Like. Adelaide says different things to us. Like they say dance and France instead of dance That's and very France. Fresh. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what's going on there, but pretty weird. <laughs> what do you reckon about the Australian accent? Have you noticed like any different accents going around, or it's pretty much the same? Like. Yeah, I think you hear different twangs. Yeah, different twangs. Maybe it's just some are strong, stronger than others, perhaps. But yeah, yeah, it's hard to tell as well. Though, like I've had the uh, you know the guys from psychedelic porn crumpets on a few times. Yeah, well, they're from London, aren't they, or something? Well, well, this is the thing: is that he Jack is 
was born over here, I think, and lived here for, like until he was ten or something. But when I hear him talk, it sounds like pure Australian to me. Ah, oh, really? But then whenever I talk to anyone from Oz, they always say that he sounds like completely English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know he came out even when he was ten. Wow, he's really stuck true. I've got a mate who's went, who's gone over to London, <laughs> who went over there to play in a band, and then I went over and saw him, and he's like got a London accent now. And I'm like, what the fuck? You've been there for like a, <laughs> a year and a half. And he's, <laughs> I just can't I'm always, say. I'm always suspicious of that. I don't know yeah, how that and then I feel like they come. Uh, I don't know. And then like maybe if there's like. You know the people who play two sides of the fence if they like come back to Australia and like yeah like, <laughs> like talking talking like they got an English accent and then they go back to us like around people from London like yeah mate just got on me uh <laughs> my kangaroo in <laughs> here we are <laughs> and then I show up and then he's like oh no quick back to London is it almost like a chameleon thing do you think like trying to fit in or something yeah I don't know it's probably just all in my head to be honest. <laughs> just like just on them a bit have you moved around quite a lot or have you kind of always stayed in the same spot I was born in Orkinflower which is like six kilometres from where I live give or take <laughs> my mate Duncan who doesn't say very many um, good quotes um, he said it doesn't matter if you die where you're born as long as you go everywhere else in between <laughs> I was That's like good. that is fucking great so yeah I kind of been living by that I do want to move um, near the beach somewhere at some point. But everywhere near the beach since COVID has just become impossible to live, like, to move to. How come? Because everyone's like, everyone wants to go to the beach. Oh, so everyone's going to just stay in put and no one's moving. No, no, no everyone's moving um, to go to, like, it puts now people, like, working from home more and, yeah, everyone just wants to live near the ocean. So there's not a lot to, um, there's not a lot going around in terms of accommodation there. Something different about living by the ocean. Like when you wake up and you kind of look out and you just see it stretching. Oh, that'd be so good. Over the horizon. That'd be so awesome. <laughs> Are you quite far inland then? Uh, I'm about half an hour from the bay, but there's like an island blocking Brisbane's beach. It's like Stradbroke Island, I guess. It's blocking um, Brisbane from having waves. So you have to go like an hour north or an hour south to get like beach beach like waves wait it's blo- what do you mean it's blocking it from getting waves like the islands that are an hour out from you know that you have to get a barge to or yeah, whatever yeah. yeah they block they get all the waves and then there's just still water in between the island and us that's crazy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how far out you said they're an hour out on a boat so they're miles out but then the waves just stop you can kind of see it like it's not that far away like you can get there in like 15 minutes on a faster boat, but if you want to go on the one with the car, I don't know, it'll take about an hour or 45 minutes. That's crazy. I can't <laughs> imagine. <laughs> we got to talk, uh, we got to talk Too Tough Terry. Yeah, we actually wrote, recorded that with our last album and it didn't make the album because it's just a lot different to all the songs on the album, but we still liked it, so we kind of put it out. It feels very standalone. Yeah, it is very standalone. Cause it's pretty hard to write. To like put that on, be cohesive with a bunch of other songs, I guess. <laughs> well, it feels like that for us. But um, yeah, it's a it's a standalone song. We're not going to slide it onto an, a new album or anything like that. Did you have the character before you had the song? Not the cartoon character, but we had like we just had the song, and then 
this kid from uni and university in uh, Newcastle made the video clip for over like six months as his final grading for his school university or whatever. Um, wow. Grading. <laughs> and yeah, and that just made the like, character come to life. And then we, yeah, got like a mascot outfit for it and stuff like that. Was he kind of a real life character? Was he someone you kind of just pulled from the real world? Not necessarily the animated version, but like the song, the guy in the song itself. I think it was just like, we're trying to write a song about a truck driver. <laughs> oh, do you call them lorries over there? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's quite a Scottish word, lorry, yeah. Yeah, we tried. We wanted to make a song about a lorry, like a pissed off lorry driver. <laughs> we wrote it in like half an hour. Like we didn't really think it through that much, <laughs> and it's ages ago. So sorry if I'm being a bit aloof about it. But um, yeah, we we that was a really quick song to write, and then the demo came out really similar to the. I mean, the main recording came out really really similar to the demo. Yeah, it was kind of like we were writing songs all day to try and make it like a really good song and then we would write that one for fun kind of in the break like Mountain Rocks Come and Go Fuzzy I was going to say it? yeah <laughs> yeah it's kind of like that like you're that trying to write songs yeah a bit of a bit of like that and then when we're just trying to have fun with it then like sound like a you know well, they come really quickly like that like a lot of our one, a lot of my favourite songs we write come like that like Scott Green was a real quick one and why do you think that happens? um because you're not putting it up, up on a pedestal and then you can have more fun with it and I guess you become more creative. Whereas if you're trying to write like a fucking masterpiece, you're probably just sitting there like, oh, fuck, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like, oh, shit, like, what the fuck do I do? But if you just have fun with it and like, you know, it kind of translates through and other people can have fun with it and kind of goes all right, you know. Can that ever be a little frustrating as well? Though? Like if you have a song, something you want to write a song about, and you really care about it, but then as soon as you put that pressure on it, it kind of impedes it a little bit. Or I guess it can work in a couple of ways. Sometimes, yeah, you put it up on a pedestal and then you put too much pressure around it and then you like almost suffocate the song. But other times, I guess, if, you put, if you're trying to make something like that has a lot of meaning and you put a lot of thought into it, it can come out really well thought out and good at the same time. Was that the case for like some of the... Like the mellow, not the mellower, but the kind of maybe darker stuff in the last album, like Rock Bottom or Bad Habits, were they ones that kind of had a little bit more put back? Yeah, Crazy, Crazy was like that. Like we started that one in America with John Feldman, but then came back and has more of like a serious meaning and about like, yeah, like the passing of one of our friends. And um, yeah, that's like kind of one that you don't really want to rush kind of thing if you're going to make it a bit more serious. But um uh, but yeah, I guess a lot of those albums on the last one we tried to over like might have overthought it a bit, but they, they kind of worked out. But some of the ones that we overthought that didn't make it were yeah, didn't make it for a bit of a reason, you know. Is that why you chose to bring that one in with John? Because it was kind of uh, a tougher one to approach. We started it from scratch with John, and then um, wow, and then it didn't really have any meaning, so we didn't really want to. Um, pursue it or whatever and then we kind of brought it back home and changed the music a bit and then add the meaning to it kind of thing that's a funny way of going about it where you have the song there first and then you kind of implant the meaning into it afterwards yeah yeah 
yeah that was kind of how that one worked out did it change quite radically after you did that um yeah well yeah it became kind of sometimes i reckon it can become a bit easier once you have a meaning behind it because you're not just trying to find anything that rhymes you can you're kind of telling a storyline around it so you have more content off the bat that you want to put into a song i guess well i mean where did the idea come from to put that experience into that song what was it about the two things that kind of matched up for you? Um, I think it was like the chorus was similar, like something about like um, everyone is crazy lately or something like that. And then we, yeah, we just, that was like kind of sparked the idea. And then we kind of went went into that, explored that a bit bit further. Does that impact it structurally in any way? Or is that, is that yeah, what, yeah, what's yeah, kind yeah. of locked in place? Yeah, yeah. kind of. I think for that one, it's a long time ago, but I remember, yeah, the instrumental that we had around that song changed around a new meaning, I think. So I was like, talking about something that we write, <laughs> like fucking, I think that was, yeah, a few years ago now. Um, do you think about the songs after you've written them or once they're done, are they kind of locked in? And I feel like once it gets released, it's kind of like they're kind of done. And then, you know, you kind of, after you release them, then you, like our last couple of albums have done like record store signings or whatever. And then you over, you listen to it constantly at those signings or whatever on repeat. And then you have to go and learn them to then go on tour and then tour them again. And then like, by the end of it, you just they're just so cooked and implanted in your memory that you probably don't want to, like, probably don't revisit them as much or think about them as much anymore because <laughs> you've just dissected them and committed it to memory that, that much or something. Do you, is that what kind of also makes you kind of look forward, though, and kind of start writing new ones? Once those ones are kind of cooked and they're in there, is that when you start writing again for the next one? Um, I don't know because it's weird because, like, usually, like, in the past, it's, like, like after our second album, The Kids Were Nice Bullshit, we, we just toured constantly until, like, we just – it was almost embarrassing if we got announced on another festival <laughs> – and then we're like, all right, well, we better go away and, like, write an album. And, like, before that, it was always, like, release it, tour it, to the, like, until they're fucking done. And then, like, and then quick, you got two weeks to write something else and, like, put it out. <laughs> I remember one time we, on our third EP, which isn't our best EP by any means, um, we had to, we committed to a tour saying we'd put something, put out our new EP for the tour, like before, like supporting a bigger band or something like that. So then I remember we were like, um, we were in the studio the day we're meant to be going to the airport to fly to America. And we just put everything down, like the lyrics, like not even thought about and that kind of shit because that's the last day that we had to finish off this EP before flying over and starting a tour before coming back and releasing the EP to go on this support tour. Man. Yeah, back in the... That's sorry, it was a rushed pile of shit that, like, parts of that EP, <laughs> um, except for a couple of the singles on it. Yeah, so then, like, after Kids, Kids Will Know It's Bullshit, it was, like, kind of similar, like, we'd tour that, and then by the time touring's finished, then it was time to write another album but like with this last one we recorded and we started touring we did an album tour 
and then it was the first tour we'd done off this album and then it the global pandemic was announced like the day after our last show we did like in two weeks did like five three thousand capacity shows into just straight up nothing for over a year and like we saw we do like we haven't had jobs in like nine years not saying we had like money in nine years or anything like <laughs> for nine years <laughs> like sleeping on couches and shit and under houses but um yeah we kind of just had nothing else to do so i guess come back to your question it was like yeah that was when it was that was time to start writing because there was nothing left to do it wasn't that didn't really have to play into the fact that um yeah that the other ones were really like you know that we'd digested the, the last album or anything like that i mean that like that period of time when it's like record the ep tour america release the ep come back go on another tour how long did that last for that period where it's just constant all the time i think we pretty like because i guess we're talking about like um been a band for like 11 years now we pretty much like always had a show coming up in some way or another from like the start of our band until the end of our the kids will know it's bullshit album so our second last album that's a long time just to be constantly to constantly have something coming up you know and then we kind of on purpose kind of took a break or whatever from playing shows here in australia and stuff and because we definitely had to like kind of get back to like we didn't have to like we definitely felt like we wanted to like get back in and write another album to follow that one up yeah that was the first time we had nothing and then we were like then we're just gearing up to relentlessly tour for about two years but yeah we've played like seven shows or something or 12 shows since since like in support of our last album which is a lot more than a lot of other bands from australia as well like some bands just had the worst luck like um hockey dad they just played a show in brisbane uh on the weekend which was their like rescheduled i think something like four times that was booked originally like a year and a half ago to then play to come off and in the encore get dragged into hotel quarantine because they're in a spot that was like two weeks before deemed a hot spot and they were tested and everything came back negative yeah they've just had like other bands have just had such shit luck not being able to like tour or their albums and and stuff like that australia's pretty militant isn't it like in terms of the way it's cracking down on it oh it's fucked but yet like the, they got like state of origin which is like the two big football teams here versus each other and doesn't matter where they have been they've been in hot spots they can come into cities play to fifty thousand people like they do on the weekend here but now the lockdown is happening you know like or like and, and like fuck. the reason why a hockey dad flew in early is because they noticed the state of origin team were flying in early in case the border shut so they flew in and then like they get ripped off stage after their show but then the football goes ahead with all the players that are just flown out of sydney and it's just like you fucking cunts like does my it's all about money fucking head in it's all about money man if you could bet i bet you that if you could bet on music like We'd be fine, you know? It's just fucking bullshit. They just got better lobbyists and fucking... does my head in, man. It really boils my blood, all that shit. And that's the thing about this pandemic is it's just highlighted. It's like lifting up the rock, you know, when you see all the bugs that are underneath it. It's just highlighted all the kind of 
corruption and the hypocrisy of the kind of way that the site is run mm. in a very oh mate the apparent hi- way hypocrisy be- between like sports and music here is fucking clear as day and it's such an insult like it's just rubbing our face in it like we still got like music venues that are 200 capacity running at 100 capacity or probably even less than that now um yeah today it came in that for a week you can't sing yet you can play football like and like and and before that there was like a hundred capacity like 200 cap venues running at 100 people only, yet there's 50,000 people at a football match. And it's like, you guys are fucking cunts. Every single one of them. Bunch of fucking cunts. When you say football, do you mean like American football or do you mean soccer? I mean rugby Which, league. Sorry. <laughs> rugby league. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Completely different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, the footy, you know. <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. Bring any any sport here. You be you can play to fifty thousand people, and then like a band can play as long as the footy's on. But you take the footy out of it, and the band can't play in the stadium. That's crazy. Yeah, it's fucking bullshit. Have you not had a few festivals and stuff as well, though? Yeah, if they're lucky enough to go ahead, it's like um, it's just running. It's just a gamble for festival owners. Like some get through, but if like. There's a festival with probably, I don't know, meant to be around like 30,000 people, I'm guessing, called Blues Fest here in Byron. And it was completely sold out. All the vendors with the food and everything have like showed up. And there's one case of COVID in Byron. They shut the whole festival down like the day before it was meant to happen. People had flown in, 50,000 burgers getting ready to be sold and then like just fucking them up. But yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't a footy game. We kind of we spoke a wee bit like about five minutes ago about that really intense period, you know, when you first started the band, and it was. I think you said it was like the first seven years was kind of just nonstop going for it. Where were you at headspace wise, like at the end of all of that, when it kind of just stops and you take that break for a little while before you go back in to do the next record? Shit, shit ass. Like we didn't really want to have a break, but we kind of had to write the album. Well, I was in. I, I didn't. I didn't really like it. I don't know the other guys. Like, I don't, I don't think any of us liked that time off. I don't know, I think we felt a little bit of pressure to follow up the album before that. But, um, yeah, I just, it just kind of, I don't know. After seven years of touring and then stopping completely, it's pretty tough thing to, for, I think we found it a little bit tough to do that. It's like breaking a leg. It's like, yeah. <laughs> you, mean you know what I mean? Physically? It's like you, you're constantly used to go, going like bam, bam, bang, and then suddenly it just stops and you're in the one place. Yeah, yeah. It's like breaking a leg. Yeah, so I feel like we did that and like I almost wish we didn't do that and we just kept touring. <laughs> like, and then just until COVID hit, but that's hindsight, I guess. Even, I mean, even before you were in the band, were you someone who constantly had to just be doing stuff and kind of going all the time? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely like that. Like, non-stop need, like, to talk to people and move around and, yeah, pretty nomadic. Is that the word? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we'll just call it I mean, nomadic. Like, I travel around, <laughs> like, and if something's shit or something's going, like, in a bad spot, I'll just kind of go and travel. Yeah, when touring stops, it's a bit difficult, and when COVID hits, it's kind of a bit similar to that. Yeah, I imagine COVID must be especially tough if that's your kind of headspace. What did you do to cope with it? How did you kind of handle it? 
Just nothing. <laughs> just, <laughs> just fucking had to just, there's nothing I could do. And yeah, I just got to wait. It's just really frustrating, to be honest. I wish I had something like some glory story to tell, but it's just been kind of shit. <laughs> see, what, see what we were saying about, you know, the fact that you kind of have to keep going and you just need to be constantly doing stuff and seeing people. Do you think you hear that energy in your music? Oh, I, I've never thought about it like that. I'm not sure. I was just thinking about it because your music is so kind of, you know, rough around the edges and punky and kind of constantly moving and kind of unfurling out the gate. I, I kind of saw a parallel there, but I don't know. Yeah, maybe. That's a cool way of looking at it. <laughs> I guess a lot of it's like little tongue-in-cheek jokes that, that you usually kind of come up with when you're around your mates. And I guess, like, we all write our songs together, like... Usually, like, we'll come in with different bits and pieces, but, like, we'll write a lot of the, the stuff together. And, and, like, a lot of the time, it's just trying to, like, crack each other up. So I guess, like, you know, or, like, you know, outdo one another, and that's a pretty, like, social thing. So I guess that would come across in the music, yeah. A friendly competitiveness. Yeah, a little bit like that. We do a thing called a round robin when we record vocals. Like, everyone goes to do their take of what they might think, like, a good verse would be or a good chorus idea, and then we'll, like, kind of pick and choose the best or one person's, like, verse will or chorus will take shine and then we'll all sing that bit or something like that. Um, so, yeah, there's a little bit of, like, friendly competitiveness there, but, like, usually we end up just like, oh, that bit's good and half of that's good and this bit's good and kind of put it all together. What do you do if the vote split? If the vote's... Um, well, if there's three of us... Does the producer get a vote too? Or just the three of you get the vote? Well, it's the three of us, so usually it's a two versus one, but if one person really gives a fuck, the other two will usually be like, oh, well, you give a fuck way more than us two do, so like, you can get that. But if two <laughs> think that that's like, better than the other one, they'll usually, unless they think really strongly about it, it'll go to the other two. But if like, you get a producer to kind of like steer like all three of your things and go no that's the way and then if you really trust your producer that's kind of the way that um, we'll go we like tr yeah you trust the producer did your songwriting change after you started working with a producer for the first time we've always kind of worked with produ like producers really or like because we've worked, we've never engineered anything so the engineer's usually been like the the extra member in the band kind of thing usually the guy that kind of helps steer the ship yeah helps steer the ship and kind of if we're ever stuck on something he has a, like an extra opinion or can come in with like a yeah a solution for something and get us on the right path kind of thing it's interesting you know we're kind of coming to the end of the chat a little bit but it's you know when we do these conversations we kind of get our opportunity just to chat about anything and kind of get a sense of the band as a whole as opposed to your kind of, you know, your 15, 20 minute interviews when you're trying to get these bullet points that fit into a narrative. Do you ever feel like there was a narrative that was kind of slapped upon you as a band when you first came onto the scene? That was kind of, became the cliche yeah, for like, the June Rat story was? Yeah, so we were like, a, oh, we, we were always just like the Waves cover band and like that we were surfing in the venues. Like we were always the surf people and now it's like there's a, a narrative that comes up that like, oh... June rats maturing into like the venue <laughs> instead of surfing into the venue like no oh, they're growing up but this fucking blah 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 and you're like what the fuck <laughs> like you don't know me <laughs> like maybe I don't know getting old of it fucking I guess I'm doing a dry July maybe they're right <laughs> <laughs> 
is it almost like a simplifying of it a wee bit do you think yeah I guess he's trying to like some people kind of come and tell you like what you're doing in an interview to try and fit their narrative of the story they're trying to put across how do you mean oh like so now that you guys are getting a lot older and like 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 asking a question like getting a, like a lot older and you, you've like do you feel like uh, like your maturity like your maturity le- your new maturity level has shone through in your music and you're like, I never said I had a fucking high level of maturity. You did. You did. So you're asking me if that's coming through in my music. You know, you're like, kind of pushing their agenda on their um, on on their way of storyline or whatever that they're trying to get across. Sometimes I don't know. How do you escape that? Nah, pull it up a bit. <laughs> Just you know, mention it. Bring it up like, hey, I don't, I don't know. But yeah, matured a bit. Do you ever think about your kind of narrative? Do you think about how it kind of sits in your head, the story so far, and like what the kind of picture as a whole? Um, not really. I always kind of look looking forward and coming up with new ideas and stuff, but you never really know what's going to happen, I reckon, you know? Like, I didn't try to like push a narrative on ourselves and then like, like two years ago before COVID hits, you know? It's like now everyone's kind of, kind of what happens is going to happen, I reckon. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.